If you have your Bible, uh, please turn to the book of Matthew. Chapter 18 is where we will be at, starting in the first couple of verses there. And as you guys are turning there, I'll go ahead and pray for us this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, your commission to us was to love you and to love people, Lord, and, and to make disciples. And Lord, we thank you for a place, Lord, such as this place, Lord, where we can exercise, where we could celebrate all three of those things. Lord, we thank you for this church. We thank you for your word, Lord, that has the power to change the hearts of men. And Lord, we thank you for your spirit and now ask that you would pour out your spirit upon us. Lord, that we would have hearts to receive that which you have for us, but Lord, would you also give us strength and and passion to live this out? And Lord, we just, above all, we thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So I, I thought I'd start out this morning by way of introduction, just kind of sharing with you a little bit about myself. Again, my name is Jamie Urbina. My wife, Rachel, and I, we've been married 15 years this year, and we both have have grown up here in North County. We met here in North County, and now we live and serve here in Vista, and we have two beautiful boys. They are wild and crazy, but they are a gift from God. Beautiful boys. Our oldest son, Wesley, he's 12 years old. And our youngest son, Shepard, is seven years old. And I was just telling a few guys here just a couple weeks ago, Shep fell and broke his right arm and two, you know, both of the bones. And, and he's got a cast up to here now. And, uh, and I didn't do it. It wasn't my fault, but he's in for a, a cruel summer indeed. I have been a part of the pastoral staff at Calvary Vista for seven years now. And I am what you would call bivocational. Now, before you get up and run out, let me explain what that means. Apart from my role and responsibility there at Calvary Vista, I also am employed. I work full-time at a private Christian school here in North County, and uh, because of that, for these past two years, my boys were able to attend that school that I worked at, which meant that I had the great privilege of driving them to school and back each and every day, And, and that led to some Awesome opportunities and times of, of great conversation with my, my two boys, as you can imagine. You know, we talk about things like school, uh, friends, we talk about music or movies, and uh, also their favorite topic was homework. We talked a lot about homework on those drive, drive homes, but uh, oftentimes those conversations would kind of lead us down the road to talk about you know, what it is to be, uh, to grow up and, and areas of maturity to which then I would be able to share with them openly about how when I was a young man, when I was their age, how the poor decisions that I made, how they affected my quality of life. And that's right. I, I used myself as an example. Maybe some of you are like, no, don't do that. You're not supposed to do that. You're going to give them bad ideas. But I've always been very open and and honest with my boys about my life, about the wins and losses, the, the victories and the failures that I've had in my life, and even how I was attacked 
by those tattoo artists coming home from church that one day. And that's why I look the way that I do. Always just laying it out there for them. But in my effort of honesty with them, I always, although I strongly believe, you know, not trying to rush through their childhood, I always encourage them that they have a great responsibility in themselves to grow up because really in life that never changes. I don't know about you, but I still have quite a bit of growing up to do. Just ask my wife, she'll tell you. But the Bible encourages all of us to grow up. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, after examining the great importance that we have a mature understanding of love, well, Paul says that growing up comes with putting childish things behind us. He also mentions in Ephesians 4 that it's the responsibility of the church to raise up believers, to be mature in the Lord, to grow up so that we're not negatively influenced by this world and its doctrines. So although you, maybe like myself, were indoctrinated by Toys R Us in the 80s to never want to grow up, hey, the Bible says something different, something opposite, that growing up is good. Growing up is needed. But what we find is that growing up in God's kingdom is something quite different than many of us may believe. We actually see Jesus. He sets this target up of greatness to teach us that our growth should be aimed there. And we actually, uh, you know, today, you know, our pursuits of greatness take its, its forms in, in the ambition that we may have in, in work or hobbies or, or maybe some sort of you know, financial stability, that becomes our aim. That becomes greatness to us. But yet Jesus calls us to follow something quite different, a very countercultural example of humility, of self-sacrifice, and of being a lowly servant. And today here in Matthew 18, in this passage, we're going to see the difference from being childish versus becoming childlike for his kingdom's sake. And the story here in Matthew 18, it revolves around Jesus using this child as an example to teach his disciples of what it really means to be great. So the title of today's message, I've titled it today, Grow Up or Get Out. No, I'm just joking. I wouldn't do that. The title is actually The Way to Greatness. I don't know why I said that, but um, what we're going to do is we're just going to read through. I just picked a few verses out to try to keep it short. We're going to talk a little bit about the context and the circumstance revolving this lesson we see. And uh, we're, we're going to end up with kind of looking at Jesus' illustration that he uses as, as he pulls this child in the midst of them. And, and then we can pull some characteristics of humility that you and I need to grow up and be great in God's kingdom. So, you guys ready to read? Verse 1 of Matthew 18, it says, At the time the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Again, verse 4, Therefore, whoever humbles himself 
as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So the disciples' question, well, their question to Jesus was, who is the greatest? And we have to understand that that this wasn't some abrupt or spur-to-the-moment, just random thought or question that the disciples had. In fact, we, we learned that this subject of greatness actually had been on their minds for quite some time. Just before this conversation, we learned that as the disciples traveled from Galilee to Capernaum, that they talked and argued about this very subject, who was the greatest. Even in the ninth chapter of Luke, we read that, that when they traveled there in this caravan, that they were separated from Jesus and felt like they were in a you know, private enough space to kind of argue amongst themselves. But by the time they reached Capernaum, Jesus came up to them and said, hey, I noticed you, you guys were arguing about something. What was it that you guys were talking about? What was it that you were arguing about? What got you so riled up? And the disciples were told that they just kept silent. I mean, maybe, maybe they were shocked, maybe even a little embarrassed that they were arguing about who was the greatest when all Jesus had been talking about was how he would suffer and how he would die. Maybe breaking that awkward silence, one of these disciples just kind of says, all right, Lord, we're talking about who was the greatest. Tell us who is the greatest in your kingdom." Now, I think it's important for us to know that man's greatness is quite different from the greatness that we're going to see Jesus explain and expose. Man's greatness only comes from great accomplishment and notoriety. Some have been given the title of great. Maybe the most popular is the one Alexander Great, who by the age of 30, through a very powerful and successful military campaign, created one of the largest kingdoms in the ancient world. Alexander the Great is still considered, widely considered, one of history's most successful military commanders. Thank you, Wikipedia. Some have been given this title of great. Others have been self-proclaimed to be great. And maybe you might know where I'm going with this. It was Muhammad Ali who declared, I am the greatest when he knocked out Sonny Liston in 1964 to become the youngest heavyweight champion at that time. You know, Muhammad Ali would go on, in fact, to prove that he was one of the greatest boxers to ever compete. But really, you can't even go online to check a couple scores without seeing somebody's post or article about who was the greatest, top 10 lists, or who's the best full of men and women who have all achieved great things. That's man's standard of greatness. But Jesus... He responds to the disciples' question. Well, that's when he calls this child over to them. Maybe even puts the child up on his knee, and this must have totally shocked them. This must have have, have baffled them. And why is that? Well, you see, children in those days were, were anything but great. Because children were completely reliant on others. They were without status and at the mercy of most everyone else. Why a child? But in this simple example of a child, Jesus hoped to open their eyes to what true greatness was and is in his kingdom. I think that's what he wants to do to us today. With this child in front of them, look at verse 34. Jesus says, Unless you are converted 
and become as a child, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And so whoever humbles himself, just like this child, is the greatest in my kingdom. So this raises the question, what does it mean to be great? In God's kingdom, how does uh, you know what does a child have to do with it, and how can we be converted to become like children? And I believe that we can find the answer to these questions as we look at this example that Jesus places in front of us this morning in the humility of this child. We can find some characteristics of humility that are needed, with which we must approach Christ and find this spiritual conversion. So the first characteristic of humility that we see in children, number one, if you're taking notes, is dependency. The dependency that children have for their parents. You know, in our day and age, from a newborn baby to some college-bound young adults, although the needs are quite different, some children may never lose that sense of dependency that they have for their parents. The truth is, I still call my parents often. It's often that I do. And uh, one thing is for sure, no matter how old or young that we all are, hey, we would all agree, we never outgrow our need for Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. From the salvation so great to even the breath of life that, that Sarah spoke of, that we, we, we celebrate and we worship, and we will never grow out of our need for Christ Jesus. From cover to cover, the Bible explains we have a great need, and that is Jesus. Even Jesus himself explained, without me, you can do nothing. It's right. It's obvious. But I must confess, my heart doesn't always follow the obvious. Instead, my heart, my mind, on many occasions, much like yours, is prone to wander. It brings me to the moments and seasons of my life where I rely mostly on myself, of self-reliance. And of course, I'm sure that, that, that neither of us, I'm sure that I would never deny that truth, that I have a great need for Jesus. Hey, listen, in all honesty, my heart declares something different when I walk on independently without him. And friends, this is a common tendency for all of us to lose that humility that's found in a daily dependence a daily dependence to Christ and all that he provides for me as a child of God. We see this in our children. We see a clearer picture of what daily dependence looks like. You see, our children daily depend on us for the bare necessities at minimum, right? They depend on us for food, shelter, clothing. My sons would add video games to this list, but we provide those bare necessities for them. And despite their pursuit of independence, of course, our kids, they couldn't survive without our sufficient care. The difference is, for them, they don't have a choice. But for you and I, friends, it's a daily decision that we need to make in our dependency for Christ Jesus. You know, our youngest son, Shepard, I remember um, one day when he came to me and he asked me, uh, you know, to take his training wheels off of his bike. Big step for a kid. You know, he was ready to start riding his bike around the neighborhood like the rest of the kids. And so I took his, his training wheels off, but only after five minutes of trying it out, he took his helmet off and went up 
stairs and said, I'm done for the day. And no, nothing I could say to him. I mean, I even tried to bribe him. Nothing could get him back on that bike. He was done for the day. So a week or two later, I get a text from my wife, Rachel, and I'm at work, and it's a video of Shepard on his bike in our driveway, riding around in a circle. And she's like, I heard him outside. I looked. He just jumped on his bike, taught himself how to ride. Like, he was ready to ride, and so he just taught himself. You know, I kind of thought, man, that's so cool. Like, part of me was proud, and then part of me was like, hey, that was my job. Like, he totally took that, and that would have made a better illustration this morning. But, but anyways, he, you know, he taught himself how to, how to ride his bike. He's becoming independent. But, you know, there are many times in my life where I, I just climb on my bike and I go just charging through life on my own, dodging through difficulties on my own, and navigating through those decisions that I, I need to make all on my own. Everything seems initially okay, but friends, this is what the Bible teaches can result. Well, it could be quite dangerous. It could draw me away from what God hopes to daily provide in my life. Things like safety, protection, Maybe I'm seeking for direction or I'm in need of an answer. Maybe it's just strength for the day, joy, peace, or a much-needed time of rest. Again, all these things, and the Bible teaches, I have in Him. But when I just get on my bike and go, I avoid all of that. It can be dangerous. Proverbs, a book filled with wise words, reminds us, that many are the plans in a person's heart. Man, we have many plans that we can follow that just come up on our own. Many plans are in the heart of man, but it's the Lord's purpose that prospers. Proverbs 19.21 And we're encouraged in Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6, to trust in the Lord with all your heart. You guys know this one. And lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways submit to Him and he will make your paths straight. You know, even in that proverb, we read, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, and submit to him in all of your ways. All are actions of dependency, and all are actions that we can either choose to make or choose to ignore. Ignore God instead of involving him and taking full advantage of the benefits with his involvement. You see, to keep him close is a choice you and I can make. But when we do, and we can rejoice, and we can celebrate just like the psalmist writes, with him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. You know, apart from my boys growing independence, they often resign to coming and asking us for help, realizing that they do not have what it takes to uh, complete certain tasks on their own. And you know, even for myself, spiritually, more times than not, I find myself doing the same thing with the Lord, wishing I would have kept Him close from the get-go. I love that, that term there in that psalm that I just read about describing that closeness with, with God at my right hand. Speaking of, of that, I mean, he's just right there, right next to me. The same is spoken in Isaiah 41.13 where God speaks through the prophet and says, For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear, I will help you. 
I like that. I like that because, you know what, every now and then I need God to take my hand and remind me, you don't have to worry. I'm right here. I've got you. I will help you. And maybe that's you here today. Maybe you are in a place where you need God to take up your hand and and remind you in the midst of whatever's going on in your life, hey, I'm right here with you going through this. Whether if it's a decision that you've made or, or a decision somebody else has made and it's affected you, maybe it's a prodigal son, a prodigal daughter. Maybe it's just a a season of life full of trial and challenge and God wants to reach down and grab your hand to let you know, I'm here, I've got this, and I will help you. Whatever the case, my friends, let us choose to take that action to depend on Christ as we keep him close, where we desperately need him close enough where he could reach out and take our hand. Deliver us in our times of need. So the second childlike characteristic that we're going to look at today is closely linked there with the first, and that is expectancy. Expectancy. A child's dependency is followed by their expectancy that we as parents will provide and meet their needs. Now, our children learn to expect Again, at minimum, those bare necessities from us as their parents, right? They learn this. And as children of God, hey, we are taught the same. In Philippians 4.19, Paul the Apostle assures us that this same God who had taken care of him, he says, will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Let me hear you say all. All, all of our needs. Peter backs this up in 2 Peter 1.3 by reminding you and I that by God's divine power, he has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Let me hear you say everything. Everything. Everything we need. Now, I assume that we would all agree that these verses, they speak and, and they teach to, to you and me how we should be expectant of God's provision, expectant that he will supply everything that we need, you'd think we'd have it down by now, right? And I even think of the disciples who initiate this lesson by their wayward question. I mean, they have spent that time with Jesus and, and, and been, you know, in earshot of many amazing sermons, haven't they? They've heard Jesus teach, blessed are the poor in spirit because they will inherit the kingdom of God. They've heard from, from his mouth, lay up for your treasures in heaven for where your treasure is there your heart will be also. And they've heard Jesus teach to be not anxious about your life, whatever you will drink, whatever you will eat, whatever you will wear, but instead seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. They heard these things firsthand about what God deems important, about what God can and will provide. But unfortunately, Just like the disciples, we too, we hear it, maybe even read it over and over, and yet we fail to humbly rest in it. The expectancy of God's provision. You know, to be honest, I find myself, I catch myself sometimes thinking that there's something more. 
There's something more. There's something else that will bring security and satisfaction. But listen, those pursuits often leave me frustrated. They don't produce joy. It's a lack of joy. You know, I remember a couple summers ago, we were invited over a good friend's house to enjoy a beautiful summer day like today at their pool, there at their house that they just had installed and not too long ago. So we go over there, and, and it was amazing. I was watching their youngest, who was, who was only a three-year-old at the time, and he was jumping out to his dad in the pool, letting his dad dunk him under the water, and they were putting him on a boogie board and launching him across the pool. It was amazing watching this three-year-old kind of be so brave and fearless. And while all this was going on, you know, there was my youngest, Shepherd, was standing on the side of the pool watching all this go down, and I remember in the moment, I kind of looked over at him and I kind of reached out my arms. And I'm like, yeah, let's do this. And he was like, are you crazy? No way. And kind of, you know, ran off to the shallow end with his, his floaties. And again, ruined another great uh, illustration. But anyway, uh, with my friend and his son, you know, it was so cool watching all this go down. But, but I understood something in that moment that there was a, a proven trust that had been built up there in that pool. There may have been some you know, reluctancy or hesitation in the beginning there, kind of like my son, but then after my friend had proven to his son, hey, I've got you. Hey, I'm always going to be there. I'm not, not going to drop you or let you drown. Uh, you, know, don't have, you don't have to worry. Well, guess what? The result of that proven trust was an expectancy that brought about much joy for both father and son, and they were having a blast. Man, I I take that, I can apply that to my own life. I can apply it to our lives where a proper expectancy towards God, hey, would only produce joy in living under all that he has provided, living under his security, living under his supply and provision, living under his plan for my life. You know, I even think how much more courageous that we could be to go out and try things with God that we would never do alone. Even at minimum, we could find the peace and satisfaction with His best in His perfect timing. And I love that. I understand, though, that that's not always easy. The fact is that the subject of greatness even haunted the disciples for quite some time. And that just proves to me that, that this mindset, and it doesn't usually just change overnight. But listen, our Father in heaven, He is a patient God. And He awaits to prove Himself to you. No matter how long we've sought to make things happen on our own or chased after what me, we may have thought would, would make us happy, listen, God is patiently waiting for you and I to trust in Him again. Patiently waiting. And listen, all the proof that you and I need, it's found at the cross. We're we're taught that Jesus demonstrated, He proved His great love for you and I. And Scripture says that, that while we were yet sinners, He died for us. That's all the proof that we need. I love this translations of Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. It reads, Since then, it is by faith that we are justified. 
Let us grasp the fact that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have confidently entered into this new relationship of grace. And here we take our stand in happy certainty of the glorious things that he has for us in the future. I love that. You know, may we find the confidence to take our stand in happy certainty or in great expectancy of the good things that God has for us now and in the future. So first, we see our need for dependency, which leads us towards an attitude of expectancy. And lastly, uh, may we learn to have this childlike sense of awe. This childlike sense of awe, a sense of awe to believe God can do all and so much more than we could ever imagine. Is there any Disneyland fans out there? Any? Maybe a couple grunts? I I understand. I totally understand. I have a confession that before having kids, I really wasn't a big Disneyland fan. You know, I would go when we were invited with the family, and I would be there, you know, and not grumble about it. But, you know, I would see the crowds and and the the mobs of people, how it would make the lines for the rides all long, and I would see the price of a pretzel, and I'd be like, man, really? Gosh, that much for a pretzel? I wasn't a big fan. But then something happened. We had kids. And when they were old enough to go, we would, we would take them. And I, as I would witness this joy and excitement through their eyes, as they experienced the magic of Disneyland for the first time, everything changed. No longer was I focused on the mobs of people. I didn't care about the long lines. I didn't even care about the price of a churro. You want one? Hey, let's get one. We're here. Let's, let's have fun. No problemo. I was totally transformed. I had the sense of awe, kind of like it felt like when I was a kid at Disneyland because I was kind of enjoying it through through my boys. But the question is, how do we get this sense of awe when it comes to God? Well, the first step is one that many of us have already taken, and that's when we forsook living for ourselves and ask Jesus to come inside of our lives, to take over and rule and reign in our hearts. But as time goes on, we realize that there are many things that contend with that upward perspective. And I believe it's right here where we as Christians can so easily lose our sense of awe when it comes to our relationship with God. When the things going on around us become our focal point. Because before we know it, our focus becomes so horizontal that our view of heaven becomes crowded out by the cares of this world. It may not be long lines and parking lot woes, but here in real life, it's the daily grind of being a faithful employee. It's the challenging people and the relationships that seem to to wear us down. It's fighting that whole mindset of of that feeling that money just controls who I am and what I'm allowed to do. It's the things, including sin, that pulls us and draws us away from God. There are even good things, too, that vie for our attentions. 
which is why our connection to Jesus must not only be active, but one we learn to become dependent on. And this is where we kind of see how it's all connected, where our sense of awe is linked to our dependence in God, which brings about an expectancy of God. And that just produces in us this continued sense of awe. as we witness God's faithful work in and through us day after day, as we recognize his involvement in our lives more and more, as we hear his voice in our hearts, prompting us away from sin, away from the things that, that are harmful for us, and leads us towards his good purpose for our lives. And friends, there is little more motivating than recognizing God is active in our lives. And this speaks of the importance of just being in daily communion with our Father in heaven. It's it's not anything that our, our salvation is reliant upon, but the health, the spiritual well-being. All of these things I'm talking to are tied directly to this book where God desires to speak words of love, tender encouragements, vital direction. You know, I remember I was working with a younger man and uh, he was kind of helping me out with a few projects. And during the times of, you know, work and, and on break, we would have conversations about, you know, things going on in our lives personally. And the topic of, of, you know, being a Christian came up as he was admitted you know, an admitted believer in Jesus Christ, a Jesus follower. And he was talking about the struggles of of understanding God's will for his life. And even said to me, God hasn't spoken to me, gosh, I don't even know in how long. And so through our conversation, one of the questions I said, well, you know, what's your, you know, your, your reading been like? And he's like, well, I haven't picked up a Bible in years. And I said, well, you, you have a desire to hear from God? You know, that's where he wants to speak to you at. You're ignoring him. It's not him ignoring you when you don't pick up this book and, and understand that God faithfully wants to speak through these stories, through this scripture to you. Words of life. And we just be ignoring those things. It's so important that this becomes something that's vital, a part of our walk and relationship with God. And when we find ourselves in this rhythm, friends, then the grace of God, which we read about daily, it will always outshine those things that dare distract us. And we, just like the psalmist, can sing out, Lord, show me the wonders of your great love by your right hand. You know, we've often talked about how God does take our hand to help us and hold us in our times of need, but it's also through his nail-pierced hands that even more importantly, he shows you and I the wonders of his love. Because, you know, even though you and I could pursue these characteristics of humility that we've talked about this morning, the Bible teaches that there's only one thing that can transform and change a person, and that is God's loving kindness. It's his love for you and I. 
that leads us and ushers us towards repentance. Listen, converting us daily into children of God. That's the conversion that you and I need. We've been given something greater than lifelong passes to Disneyland. We've been given Jesus with no blackout dates. Isn't that amazing? We've been given a whole new outlook on this life and beyond. And you know what? This sense of awe that you and I can have, it can be contagious. It can be contagious. Just like, you know, I've been converted by my kids. Listen, our joy that we can have, it can affect the people around us. It can be like just confetti that constantly follows us around that people recognize, especially in this hopeless generation can affect those we come into contact with. So the mark of greatness is childlike humility, a daily dependence with joyful expectation. As we behold Jesus and we stand in awe of his amazing love, listen, we're changed, we're transformed for his kingdom's sake. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Father, Lord, I, I thank you for your patience and your long-suffering. Lord, for just as you were patient with your disciples there and then, Lord, I know that you're patient with us. Lord, continue to teach us. Continue to change us and, and humble us so that with our lives and our service, we would bring praise to the lips of man. Lord, grow within us a, a childlike heart lacking in, in any pride or self-ambition. And Lord, continue to bring about opportunities where your church can be great for your kingdom's sake. In Jesus' name, amen.